You're listening to the Mangroves to Mountains podcast, where we talk all things outdoors, hunting, fishing, paddling, camping, adventure travel, and more. Thanks for listening. Started. Okay. Michael Hawkins, how are you, buddy? Doing great. Good to see you, Jim. You too, man. It's been a long time, but uh, we talked a little bit last night and uh, again today, and and uh, the conversation is always easy with you. Um, we have a lot in common, a lot to talk about, and uh, but we can talk about this later, but we should definitely get together and fish at some point, um, maybe this summer. And we'll play some music afterward and have yeah, a beer. Yeah. You, I'll play you sing, or maybe you maybe you play <laughs> and sing, and I'll listen. <laughs> Actually, be better. <laughs> yeah. So you want to introduce yourself briefly, or or not so briefly? I can. Sure, I can. My name is Michael Hawkins. Um, fifty-six years old. Currently live in Port Ritchie, Florida, uh, a little north of Tampa, not far from the Gulf of Mexico. Um, would you like me to kind of put what I put on my bio for you? No, just um, you're going to do that. I think we're going to mostly talk fishing. We'll probably touch on music a bit too, because mm-hmm. you know that's your thing, also. So, um, so when did when did you? Um, you sent in your bio that you lived in Maryland. Where, where in Maryland? I was just curious. I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. I lived in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. I lived in uh, Rockville, Montgomery County later when I moved back to Maryland for a little while where I got into music and got did construction as well, working for a living. Um, just Baltimore, Maryland and the surrounding areas. Frederick was a cool place. My mother, was, my mother lived in Frederick for mm-hmm. a time as a, as a child. And then they moved to Oklahoma. But uh, if I could interject fishing with uh, that part of Maryland, if you go into Bethesda and um, uh, what's the other town up there? Um, Potomac, Maryland is the upper Potomac River that eventually winds, you know, that goes into the bay. But the upper Potomac smallmouth fishing is unbelievable. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, I didn't fly fish back then, but I took a small spinner and some grubs, you know, meaning artificials little spinner base and tore up little one pound smallmouth and probably caught them up to two pounds but they were plentiful you just had to not slip and fall in the river but it was gorgeous <laughs> and lots of fish awesome i love it yeah and then and then when did you um when did you come to florida first and around the end of the summer of 79 in the 1980 i moved to lando lakes florida pasco not far from where i'm sitting Back then, it was a lot of agriculture, citrus, and cattle, um, and bass lakes. I lived in Lando Lakes, Florida, and every lake was pretty loaded with bass and other species for the bass to eat. And I learned how to catch crawfish and catch wild shiners, <laughs> um, and it just seemed like it was a mystical thing back then. I was a kid from Maryland who never experienced that kind of natural resource. It was kind of choked out in Maryland by then. Mm-hmm. The Florida in 1980, it was really healthy. Um, the water was clear. There wasn't that many houses or people. God, it sounds like I'm really old when I say that. It sounds like back in the other, in the old century. Um, but my neighbor, well, I'm sorry, my neighbor and also our landlord's father, John Gideon, <laughs> taught me how to rig a plastic worm and I was off to the races because then I caught fish constantly. Like a Texas Texas rig? You got it, exactly. 
No. Cream wigglers, man's jelly worms, and producto worms. Any of those ring a bell? Of course. Yeah. Do you remember um, they would always have that scent to them? Like they put even the man's, the man's had that uh, scent before scent was grape. a thing. Yeah, it was a grape smell. And it was it was like intoxicating as a 13-year-old kid. Yeah, that's one of those. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Buffalo, um, there was a hardware store. And back in, back then, you know, hardware stores carried everything. Fishing tackle, you know, yeah. in some of the country, you know, guns. Yeah. Firearms. But, um, yeah, there's just like a, just a, 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 I'll never forget it. It was like a, um, a barrel with an open top that just was full of plastic worms. And they the smell of that. And just, but back then I was obsessed with Northern Pike. So I wasn't into bass fishing a lot yet. I was using Rapalas and whatnot, you know, yeah. rebels and, you know, before fly fishing. And, but I just, I can't, I'll never forget that smell. And, and they're oily. They're just, you know, just really, really, um, what's it? Uh, the texture of it, mm-hmm. it's not the right word, but um, like the tactile quality of it was mm-hmm. interesting to me. I was like, this is, this is, there's this uh, world beyond what I knew at that time. I was like, this is like high tech stuff. Like, even though looking back, it really wasn't. But at the time, I was like, geez, this is really, they have scent to them. They're oily, like, like a real. Oh, it was a whole new world for me. I, I learned, nobody was there to really to teach me, me after that. And I had to learn a bunch of stuff on my own. And I remember everything you're talking about it. And this, you know, and smells last a lifetime. They can take you back like a song. They can take you back exactly where you were when you smelled it the first time. Mm -hmm. I have to mention that I just saw that the leader of all this, Ray Scott passed away. The, the, uh, the founder of the Bass Angler Sportsman Society, which I was a member of. Me too. As a kid. A patch, and I had the sticker. And My mom sewed the patch on a hat for me. I was one of those kids. I was a total geek. I guess I still am. Yeah. But there's a lot of us out there, isn't there? Still? There are, yes. We need more of us, but yeah, definitely. Ray Scott's gone. Wow. I know. It's crazy. All the, all the Bassmasters classics. I, I received Bassmaster Magazine. I... I, I uh, consumed all that stuff. Same um, here. I the, was like a, a, um, a disciple, if you will, of, of mm-hmm. uh, Rick Klun. Like his mm-hmm. style, like that, that scientific uh, breakdown of, of bass and where they mm-hmm. lived and what, you know, just the science of it. Like you took it to a whole other level. And, and then I got mm-hmm. into Roland Martin and, you know, just um, yeah. you know, really eat up, eaten up with it for a while there. You're talking about science of the fishing. My first experience was was watching um, Homer Circle mm-hmm. and Doug Hannon, the Bass Professor. Yes, I remember. Who lived? Who's if he's still alive? He lives up near uh, like the Gainesville Silver Spring. Um, um, not quite North Florida, but where the springs ring, you know, the Santa Fe and Rainbow and Withlacoochee River. He's up there somewhere. Um, and then uh, Glenn Lau, the underwater photographer, oh, I remember all this passed time. away. Yeah. He lived in Inverness, I believe. I've been to Inverness. Um, and he passed away. He was a lumberjack-looking guy, but he was a videographer, videographer and underwater um, scuba guy who he and Doug Hannon, he and Doug Hannon made the famous film Big Mouth and Big Mouth Forever, which was the whole study of what bass do. Yes. Yep. I how they spawn, how they eat, what they, you know, every little thing. And I, here I am. 
I'm still remembering diving into that stuff. And yeah, it just shows cool. how effective it was and, and um, how it sticks with you. You know, I don't, I don't know if today's media so much does that so much, but it was so well produced, so well filmed. So, I mean, and so well written um, that it's, it's stuck with us, you know, 30 years later, maybe 40, I don't know, 30 years at least. I feel pretty lucky. Yeah. Same here. What I did. Same here. So um, we actually met at Bass Pro in Dania Beach um, at uh, Outdoor World. We were mm-hmm. both working in the fly shop. And then, so how was that like coming in there? I can I can tell you stories how it was for me, but what, how was it coming in? I was in a supermarket in Davie, Florida, not far from my house. I was just married. It was around 2000. And I saw, you know, I visited the store when it first opened. That You know, you saw the billboard that it was coming soon. Mm-hmm. And there I was, like a, a grown kid waiting for this thing to, to get built and finally go in. But I gave it a couple, three weeks and let the crowd subside. And finally, because it was a, an immense property and beautiful building, and I finally went in, like I had my first time in a Bass Pro Outdoor World and um, never thought about working there, I guess, much. But I saw the fishing manager, um, Scott Bojack, Yes. Yeah, I remember Scott. In his uniform shirt at the Winn-Dixie supermarket right there at Davy Road Extension. And started a conversation with him. And like another time in my life, but he literally, I guess, hired me on the spot after having a short conversation. He said, just come in Monday. You've got the job. Because he, he offered me a job. And I said, really? And um, that's, how that, that's how I got in. I started as a, an associate in fishing, just putting things on the shelves. But... Because I was so, it was so busy there, and it was so fun to work there. Then I moved. I, I just went to work really hard, and I guess he noticed, and he told me one day, "Listen, go in and see the blonde lady who was HR. Very nice." She, he said, "Go see her. Go see her." And Jill was her name. Jill, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go see Jill and apply for a fishing lead right now. I said, "Huh?" And he goes, "Hurry, go do it." He knew I already had the job. So he made me a lead. I would just talk to you in the fly shop. I knew nothing about fly rods. I was literally afraid to pick them up because they were all too long, and I was afraid I'd break one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yep. Well, we broke a few rods in there. <laughs> Customers broke a lot of rods. and like, okay, whatever. You could hear them crack across the floor, and they would pull on them too harder. Yeah, and then you went to the fly shop. It's an ugly stick. You went to the fly shop. How did that happen? That happened after, in 2002, we decided to move to Orlando, Florida by other decisions, but me and my wife had decided to move to Orlando. We had a little baby boy then, and um, I transferred to that store, and the first day... Ron Stallings, but Blakemore fame, still my buddy, um, said, hey, we're going to put you in charge of the fly shop. The lead is leaving today, the same day you're here. And I let him do a spiel on me, and then I literally said to him, I said, by the way, I know nothing about fly fishing. And he looked at me real seriously for a couple seconds and went, do you still want to go in here? And I said, yeah, of course, why not? And what do I got to lose? I'm not going to say no. And I think within, and as, as I go in there, I'm the lead, I'm the boss of the guys working there who are well 
versed in fly rods, fly fishing, and everything, fly tying. And after a couple of days after getting to know him, um, I dropped it on him like a fun little bomb. And I said, by the way, I know nothing about fly fishing, just to watch their reaction. Because <laughs> you know how in retail and in corporate, you get bosses that you know more than they do. And I thought that would be a fun little way to introduce myself. That's funny. And, and I became friends with all of them because I'm cool. And uh, and I wanted them to teach me. And they, they were reluctant at first, but... Uh, it went from fly casting out on the grass to watching them tie flies. Um, and I noticed on the, you know, they wanted to come in there because the place wasn't making any money back in the back of the store and they couldn't figure out why. And with my high school education, I just said, well, there's no reason for them to come back here. They're announcing fly casting and fly tying on the PA, but they don't have any program. Nobody's doing it. Nobody's not going. So I, after we took everything down off the walls and reorganized and made it shoppable, I said, we're going to have casting classes on Saturday morning and put a, uh, a clipboard with a pad and a pen on the, 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 on, the, on the reel counter there. And anybody that came in for anything, it just said uh, fly casting classes Saturday morning at, what, 10 a.m.? Mm -hmm. And through that, people would, who were interested after that would come in and start purchasing things for their first fly rod kit. Uh, same as fly tying, um, they announced they had it on the PA but never went forward with it. So I have made a clipboard for that. If we had a fly tying club or a fly tying event, would anybody come and people put up their names and phone numbers? I had probably 15 people and we said, all right, let's get it started. I met a guy who came in from the villages named Oscar Fellu. Nobody's ever asked me this. Um, Oscar Fellou was from the country of Chile. He was a classical guitarist, opera singer, and, and quite a renowned fly tire and fisherman, and even lived in Michigan and guided for Steelhead after wow. getting into We became really close friends, very funny guy. Um, he would like to catch you off guard and, and, and bust your chops, so to speak. Mm -hmm. so he was a lot of fun. But he was my first guest fly tire. He had videos from you know, of him tying his original flies. Um, he's, he's since passed away, and I didn't know until after he was gone, but um, it started the, the ball rolling, and um, it was, you know how fly, tying, uh, fly fishing in the whole world of it is? If yeah. you like it, you're really going to love it, because oh, yeah. there's so much to learn and pick up and interesting people to meet, and uh, long live Oscar Fellou. <clears throat> Fellou, that's his last name. I'm, gonna, I'm writing it down. F-E-L-U-I. Got it. Very he used cool. to, I would say, I'm such an idiot for, for doing that. And he'd say, don't say that about yourself. Let me say it. <laughs> <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like a fisherman. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the cool, I was thinking about it yesterday after we talked, um, you know, Working at in Dania next to the fishing fly or not fly fishing fishing hall of fame, the IGFA. Yes, and we had some big, well-known people come through the shop. Through I the was shop. there. Yeah, because I, I moved back to South Florida, and then we worked together there. Yeah, with uh, with Mark Giacoba. Right, and of course we worked with who? Bill Curtis, of course. Captain yeah. Bill Curtis, legendary. Yeah, Captain. Yep. Yeah, 
Who do you remember coming in from IGFA once in a while? I can tell you mine, but who can tell? Who do you remember? I remember Roland Martin. Um, I met him, I think, a couple times. But the second time, the second time he came in, he's you know we were just talking, and Bill he knew Bill, and and uh, they they were going to go have, have lunch together in the restaurant, and he said, yeah, I'm going up to Alaska. You know, we were talking before that, and. You know, I said, well, do you need any flies? Like, well, yeah, whatever, you know, if you want to tie something up. So I tied up a bunch of glow bugs. I was like, I don't care if he even used them. It's just like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm the fly tire for Roland Martin. <laughs> His trip to Alaska. Like I, like I can just tell the story, you know, to my grandkids, like, yeah, he, you know, he was hard up. He, he had no flies. He, he lost his fly box. He came into the shop he, he was going to Alaska later that day. You know, oh. He needed flies. He, he, I was the guy. I saved the day. <laughs> like, who knows if he even used them? But, you know, I, maybe, you know, egg-sucking leech and glow bugs and easy stuff. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, who, he, took who them, he, he took them happily. Who would, you, who, do you, who would we remember one or two from the fly fishing realm? Say that again? Who in the fly fishing realm, uh, Roland being more of a... Oh, well, he was fly fishing. He was a fly fisherman, right. too. But, oh, uh, Billy Pate. Yep. Um, Lefty Cray. Um, yep. Oh, gosh. Who's who's the um, the guide in the Keys, a real muscular guy, um, famous? Oh, geez. I just... uh, Rob Fordyce. Rob Fordyce. Um, Mark Simpson. Yeah. Uh, who else? I saw um, Andy Mill. Didn't meet met him. I, I'd met him other times, but well, uh, if, I don't, if you don't mind me coming in with that one, yeah. uh, Chico Fernandez. Chico, yeah, Chico wrote, wrote a book. He wrote a book. Who I forget the title. It, maybe it was a biography, but it was about his no his his world. Chico's uh, fly. Maybe it was fly fishing for permit or something. And for he was going to do a book signing. Were you there that night? I was. Yes. And you remember who he walked in with? Because we had that wood ramp. The wood, the floor was wood in there of all the fly shops of Bass Pro. And you could hear their footsteps coming up. And we turned around, and it was Chico Fernandez, Andy Mill, and who is the the land captain? Steve Cantner. Steve Cantner, yeah. local celebrity, right? <laughs> um, and and as he was there, not many people showed. He kind of looked a little put off by that yes i noticed and i'm trying to remember who else came in that you know he was happy to see um but it was again working for bass pro that is a a, probably a world famous trademark name i have met i mean in bass pro in orlando um we had guy harvey signing his artwork out in front of the aquarium and then the the um fly shop was back in the rear corner and one of my guys who was kind of shy tied like a billfish sized fly and wanted me to present it he put it in a box and everything present it to guy harvey because he knows i'll talk to anybody and i said you give it to him you tied it and he said no no you do it you do it so i walked over to him as he was gathering his things at the end and i said this is from one of our guys at the fly shop he wanted you to have it and uh you know, we appreciate you being here. Well, he took that to heart, and when he was done with everything, he spent about 35, 40 minutes standing behind the rail counter with us in the fly shop and told stories and um, just enlightened us, if you will, of the world of Guy Harvey. 
<laughs> Very uh -huh. cool. That was fun. And considering Guy Harvey is a world famous artist now, he's painted murals, um, his um, amazing murals that are bigger than as big as buildings, um, even on 17th Street, Causeway back in the day, uh, and so on. And the list can go on and on. I've met Lefty, I've met. Um, oh, um, oh, geez, I'm having a brain fart tonight. Um, the other world class tarpon angler, older guy. Uh, yeah, that's um, Stu Ash. Book. Stu Ash. Stu Ash. I have his book of winning. Yeah, I met Stu. I met yep. Stu, and he was actually with Lefty, so I met the day. I think I did too. Stu was there too, and. Um, and I bought his book. He signed it. I've, I've got a book signed by Lefty as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just really, really amazing place. And I remember something you told me years ago, because um, I was like, you know, stargazing, meeting these famous fly fishermen and fishermen in general. And you, you, you said, I'll never forget it. You were like, Jim, they're, they're just fishermen like us. <laughs> Did I? Yes. Oh, I used to say um, that put it in perspective for me, and I was like, you know, from honestly, from that day forward, I was never nervous around these guys because I'm kind of like a, you know, uh, I'm not a Type A. I'm not a, you know what I mean? It's just like I'm more introvert. So when I meet somebody famous, it's a, like a bigger. I don't say bigger, but I, I react in a different way than some people would. So, and then I, that put it in perspective for me. And I've always, when I've done interviews with famous people. Since then, I just like keep that, you know, like, shit, I could probably outfish this guy anyway. <laughs> I remember, famous, but I remember why I said that, because I still feel the same way. Um, it was during a spring fishing classic, the first one I was ever at, where, you know, they bring in great guys like Jimmy Houston, Bill Dance, um, Dave's, all the bass guys, and then they bring in, you know, saltwater guys, um, and on and on. And it, it, they used to spend a lot of money to bring those people in, and there was tables everywhere and merchandise. And I remember I bought a white baseball cap so and, a, and, a, and a Sharpie marker so that I could get autographs from guys. And I got, shoot, Bill Dance, Jimmy Houston, and, and the regular guys. And one of the guys I'll keep nameless, um, it's, it, he had like an attitude. I asked him, I said, hey, it was really, I've, I've watched your shows, and read about your, um, and, and learned a lot from you. Would you mind signing my hat? And he, he was immediately put off that I would even ask him that. And I thought it was funny. And then I said, it's okay. No, thanks. I don't really need it after all. And he, he took, kind of took it out of my hand and signed it. And I laughed at him and I thought to myself, dude, you trick fish. You're, you're not curing cancer. You're not sending people to the outer space. You're just a fisherman. I never said it out loud, but I thought it. And uh, if it wasn't for us, you would be selling insurance. <laughs> I, I, I kept my I kept my manners and, and thanked him and moved on. But I think that's the story I probably told you. Yeah, that's that was it. Yep. Yeah, we can talk off off air who that was. <laughs> <laughs> can imagine, but uh, yeah, it's there's some egos definitely, um, and yeah, it's. It's a shame in a way, but it is what it is, the world we're living in. Uh, we'll say on this, and then we can move wherever you want. Um, people that I got to meet that weren't, to me, related to fishing that would come in Bass Pro were, number one, Jack Nicholas. Oh, cool. I sold him at the rail counter. He came up, and I asked for help. I, I helped pick some rods out and lures for his grandkids. And um, very nice guy, Jack Nicholas. 
I um, I got to meet uh, Dwayne Johnson and his dad Rocky. Uh huh. Because they lived out, they probably lived. He lived out in like Sunshine Ranches, West Lauderdale, and and was needed lures for peacock bass. So I, I helped him with that and rung him up. And then when he shook my hand, I remember my hand disappeared into his. <laughs> the rock. And he wasn't. He hadn't made that many movies then, and he was still kind of famous from wrestling. Uh, his dad has since passed. Rocky. Yes. Was a wrestler. Um, and on and on. You never know who would walk in there. Miami Dolphins players went off season. Um, anybody else you can think of? It was that's kind of fun to talk. There's about. so many. I hadn't thought about it in so long, but um, mm-hmm. I have to say, um, with Chico, back to Chico. Um, I had lunch with him and mm-hmm. Steve Cantner, the three of mm-hmm. us, and in, in the restaurant. Yeah. It's like that's. Like, we we who we who saw Cantner often can laugh another kind of laugh because he was such a eccentric is such an eccentric guy i have him on as a guest actually i think you should and tell me when you do um he's full of knowledge and he knows everybody he does and he's actually a very nice guy but he's he says he dances to his own you know rhythm kind of thing you you don't believe he likes it that way (laughs) let's let's uh segue a little bit to um you were talking about guiding at, at the Ritz Carlton, right? In Orlando. How did, how did that happen? How did that come about? Uh, I worked at Guitar Center. I'm a musician and a guitar lover. And um, I was in the acoustic room and two guys came in with typical fishing clothes, you know, the, the baggy pants and the, uh, the Columbia shirts or what have you, and started a conversation with them. And, and I said, uh, they, one of the guys um, had mentioned that he was the manager of Grand Lakes Outfitters at the Ritz-Carlton, which was two miles from where we were standing in South Orlando. And I asked him, what do you mean outfitters? He said, well, we have a fly fishing program and fly casting lessons. And I said, where, over in Mosquito Lagoon? And he said, no, right on the property. We have 500 acres. It's a Greg Norman golf course, but it's loaded with bass, and then there's Shingle Creek behind there. And me, as the mischievous fisherman all my kid life, thinking, you fish on a golf course? Because that's the holy grail, you know. Yes. That's the places we used to get kicked out of. Yep. And uh, same thing happened with a conversation. I asked him, I said, are you hiring? And he said, maybe. And I told him a little of my experience. And he said, why don't you come by and talk to me, you know. And so that's how I got my job there. Uh, I had to still go through Rich Carlton training. But it's, it's just about being the most excellent customer service or guest services you could possibly be in hospitality. Um, except I got to work outside and wear comfortable clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then it led, it went from fly casting one or two people to 22 people. Um, I had, they had a bunch of Orvis gear, and then I called Rick Pope from TFO because we became friends over the phone. I sold so many of their rods. They were such a great rod company um, that I ordered at least a dozen and a half or two dozen uh, rods and real combos from Temple Fork uh, for to increase our class size. So they would have team builders from different companies doing conferences there, and one of them would be fly casting and fishing. And then I ordered spinning gear uh, and, you know, through plastics and rattle traps and things for the bass in the lakes. But the Shingle Creek experience, which is one of the three creeks in the Orlando area that are the headwaters of the Everglades, Shingle Creek could be six feet wide or 60 feet wide. It was just kind of 
sneak through, um, not far from where Bass Pro is, it's a spring-fed creek, and it would start around that area and worm its way into Lake Toho, and then eventually into the Kissimmee chain of lakes and Kissimmee River, which then feeds into Lake Okeechobee and so on, down as you go into the Everglades. But the fishing there was, the, the fish were, it's an old, old, you know, lake. It's been there since God put it there. And um, you can see everything, unless it had rained and the water was mucked up. There were lots of one and two pounders, and something would swim by your canoe one day, and you'd swear it was a 12 pounder. So wow. it was a, it's a cool place. It still is a cool place. There's trees all up and down it. Um, my friend John Machen was a guest of mine. He's become one of my best friends. I just had him over here fly fishing over in the Gulf in the back country. Um, I've gotten to take Nick Faldo here, I'm name dropping. Nick Faldo, pro golfer, took a trip with us. Um, trying to think of who else. It doesn't matter, but uh, um, that was fun because I had become very resourceful in a place that I had never been before. Um, you had to crack the code pretty quickly, right? I had canoes. I had a canoe for fishing the creek, but I never took more than one angler at a time fishing on the creek because it was very difficult. You had to know what you were doing with the fly rod back there, or it would be just pulling flies out of the trees all day. Yeah. Um, on the lakes, we had high drift boats, which you would normally see out west. Right. I didn't know that. That's cool. And we had high drift boats um, on the big lake at the bottom of the property, and I could take two anglers at a time. And... Um, that's, that's how it went. And then it turned into eco-tours on the creek, um, nature walks, bird walks, um, and so on. And just I would educate people about the flora and fauna and wildlife of, of Florida and how it got there, all the invasive species I could remember, um, how to teach people not to be afraid of everywhere they go and not be afraid of alligators and snakes yes. and just <laughs> learn something from them. And I would take them to see an alligator often, uh, which they, you know, Maybe they're from Japan or New York or Russia, anywhere in the world, and they'd never seen one in the wild. And uh, that was just fun to turn people on to Florida in that sense. Very cool. Did that for six years. Really? Wow. It's still going on over there, if I'm not wrong. That sounds amazing. I'd like to go. I'd like to go higher. I can't afford the the hotel, but I like. It, it was a little pricey. It was the Ritz Carlton. Yes, that's right. All right, so um, you were talking yesterday about um, when we talked on the phone about bass behavior and and how you could just the clear water, how you could like kind of. Um, I was thinking about reading their body language. You can read you know, fish have a body. You can read the language, and um, I can do it with tarpon. I can do it with cock bass, especially somewhat with large mouths. Can you can you go into that a little bit, like? Um. Well, it started when I was a kid watching the films of Doug Hannon and so on, I mean, so of uh, Glenn Lau, and watching them in the wild of the lakes when I was a kid in Land Lakes, Florida. But I brought that, and when I didn't have a guest to take fishing, I'd take a rod out, out with me and do some research and development, I called it. I was fishing. I was fishing on the clock for myself. But I would just go out in a canoe and stand up and use a paddleboard paddle, and um, I would just push off into the creek when the water was especially still and the sun was a little higher because there was a lot of cypress trees to hide, to hide the sun. Of course, we always wear good sunglasses to look into the water. And I would just, 
find a place and, and let the boat drift into the high ascents and just observe so that I could become a better guide, but also learn for myself why do the fish do what they do. Um, when we have sheets, I call it, of minnows skating down the, into the current, what would the bass do? Sometimes they wouldn't do anything. They would just, they would just coexist. They weren't eating. Other times you could watch the little um, bank runners, to borrow a word from Bassmaster Magazine back then, just the little, the little juniors of, you know, little six and ten inch bass, um, learning how to be big bass would ambush or corral the bait up into a, up into a certain area and take shots at them and, and you know, and eat them. Um, there was other wildlife back there, and I was always curious to the ducklings. I would always wonder and say, well, am I going to be able to see a bass take a duck one day or <laughs> lots of frogs and water snakes and, and so on? Um, I've also used to... Okay, so sorry about the glitch there. <laughs> I got to see what bass do and what they don't do, and hopefully it made me a little bit better fisherman. Sometimes I wonder. Um, but they're always fun to watch, and um, I'm always blown away when you see a big one. I'm still like a kid. When you see a five-pounder-plus fish, they're still in there. Um, and my good friend John still goes there because he has a house nearby, and he lives in England, but he still puts his little 10-foot kayak eight-foot kayak in there and goes and slays them. He just recently got in about an eight-pounder on a replica of Todd's Wiggle Minnow. Thanks, Todd. Um, he still throws my little gurglers and wiggle minnows in that creek and gets them. He just got the biggest one of his life, he said, this season. That's a big bass anywhere. When you were guiding fly fishermen there, were you pr primarily using poppers or were streamers or just I could try streamers it was all because the water was three feet or less except for some of the holes that were five or deeper sometimes sometimes 10 foot most of it was shallow and it was uh, mostly top water about 85 percent of the time i would say very cool nothing wrong with that Excellent. so that was shingle creek and in Reedy Creek, too, there's, it's been in the news lately because of Disney, the whole... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. it looks just like Shingle Creek. I've driven over it when you're going through Kissimmee and, and Disney. I got to take, I got to take the, the editor, one of the chief editors from Hatch Magazine. Um, if you go in the bookstore, Hatch, Mag a Hatch? No, maybe that's the Drake. It's the Drake Magazine. Drake. Hatch Magazine. Is, it, is it a woman or, or a man? It was a guy. Okay. Um, forgive me for not having his name in front of me. I have one of the uh, um, issues somewhere in a box. Um, but we had him, and he come and did, he came and did a story on Grand Lakes Outfitters, awesome. and uh, we took him in the lake in the morning, on the creek in the afternoon because it gets warm and the and the creek is always cool and shady. Mm -hmm. And and my bad memory of that was the the restaurant was closed and we were going to feed him dinner. The only thing we had was a bottle of Knob Creek and cigars. And I was drinking 100-something proof Knob Creek on the rocks and having a cigar. And <laughs> I think we both embarrassed ourselves. We got lit drunk in the first hour and, and, and got a cab and went to Applebee's and sobered up. That was my fly fishing story with the Drake magazine. <laughs> Sobering up at Applebee's. Luckily, we didn't get arrested or anything. That would have made a good story for his magazine, huh? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> yet to be written. What, what, uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Do you have a, Michael, do you have a, a favorite fishing story or do you, a memorable one besides that one? That was amazing. But do you have mm -hmm. another one you can think of? Big fish, small fish, just a memorable morning. Um, mm -hmm. Something that stands out in your mind you're going to remember forever. I'm, I'm going to remember the Knob Creek forever. Yeah, all right. Well, I wish I had. I mean, I, I could. Everybody's got a bunch in their mind, but the first one that popped up because here I am talking about the hotel was I had a one-person class with a retired school teacher at the Ritz Carlton one morning. Now the backstory is I used to. I don't know where I learned it, but people would go out fishing and, and after an hour of casting for the first time, some got it, some didn't, as you know, yes. some people can pick it up and some people just can't, they can't cast past the rod tip, even with the best instructor sometimes. Um, but this retired school teacher was super cool, but I, I got some koi fish pellets at PetSmart on the hotel's dime and I kept them in a bin and every so many days I would go to about nine or 10 consecutive places and scatter pellets to bring the bait fish over so that the predators would know where the, you know, it's right. like for in freshwater. And I'd bring in the, the, the tilapia, shiners, catfish, bluegill, uh, and any kind of forage that was there. The, the, green, the blue herons would get on on the action and pick off a couple, but it would always attract the bass and I could watch them take out their breakfast for the morning or their lunch because if I did it for weeks and weeks. So when I would have a guest, I would know where to take them that it was guaranteed fish, even if it was bluegill. <laughs> and uh, increased my, uh, my tips. Like it. And it made, you know, they had fun. They had a better experience. Um, Resourceful. I like it. Well. A, good, a sign of a good guide right there. I took her out on the drift boat in, in the hotel lake, in the lake that was directly behind the Ritz-Carlton and, and also the JW Marriott, which shares that property. And it's along the walking path. And the nice lady could only cast about five feet past the rod tip, but it was good enough to catch a big slab bluegill, a slab bluegill that you and I would be proud to catch. And I got her picture and uh, she was very happy. Um, and she said, okay, well, you can take me back now. And I said, well, actually, we've got another hour to go. You know, let's catch some more. And she goes, no, I'm kind of, I've got other things I'd like to do. And I wasn't going to argue with my guest. But I said, well, I know where a really nice bass is if you've got a couple minutes, because I know where there was what I thought was a five-pounder underneath the dock at almost any time of the day. I called it a football, because from, from looking above, it was just a fat bass that I figured was about five pounds. Um, in passing, uh, you know, as I would watch it swim by and disappear. So she goes, but she goes, not really. She goes, if you want to go fish, you can. And <laughs> I'm not one to argue with somebody wants to let me cast. So I took my seven weight out of that belonged to the hotel and a gurgler, but I paddled up to this dock and dropped the anchor quietly. And I took one side shot, side, sidearm cast and put a white gurgler underneath that dock and took two strips and it got blasted by the fish. When it came up and did it first, its first head shake, I was standing in the front of the boat, and I swore it was over 10 pounds. But my knees started, my knees started shaking, and I started, you know, hyperventilating at the size of the fish I was hooked up with, and uh, landed it on the boga grip, and it was eight pounds. 
Good Lord. I, I have a picture of it if you ever want to see it. I still got my knee badge on. I was, I was fishing on the clock, and she took a picture and sent it to me that day when we got back. It was my biggest bass on fly. On, and I still have The fly is destroyed by now. Amazing. That's the story I came up with. I love it. Love it. What are the, what are the, uh, the, what's the future for you for fishing? Do you have, you have plans fishing? Uh, I know we talked a little bit about, uh, redfish and snook and, and, uh, do you have any, any plans to travel to fish? I, I, I do, but it's more impromptu. I, to finish, to answer the first part of your question, living over here on the Gulf coast. Now it's called the nature coast. When, when we were in Orlando last, um, and we lived there probably, in Kissimmee area for about 13 years raising their kids. Our kids are grown now. They can do their own thing, but they're at home. Um, I went through the kayak phase, but had I had some success, but fly fishing is still my first love, even though I can throw artificials as well. I'm not much of a bait chunker yet, again. Um, no offense to the bait community. No. <laughs> but, um, hey, I'll, I'll throw whatever the fish are eating. I'm not that, I'm not that proud. But um, I finally broke down and got myself a 14-foot skiff uh, made by Buccaneer, made by Rabco out of Clearwater. It's kind of like a Carolina skiff type haul. Um, and it's wide. I can put stuff in it. Um, we can put the dog in there and take pleasure rides around here in Port Ritchie, Newport Ritchie, Tarpon Springs. But it has a deck on the front, and I went and got a push pole for myself and got myself a little flats boat, if you will. And I can't, I can't even think about freshwater anymore because now I live on saltwater. I can be at the boat ramp in less than 10 minutes and I try to go out as much as I can. It's addictive. Redfish are still my favorite. Um, I think they're as odd of a fish as they look when they light up in, in bright red and copper and the blue, that blue that comes out of their bottom fins and their tail. I'm, I'm just enamored by those fish. Plus, they're so, um, when they want to eat, they remind me of largemouth bass because they're quite spunky. They will attack a, a fly. And plus the long runs and... Um, yeah, strong fish. I haven't got the huge ones yet, but I've got lots of rat reds and I've got them up to about 30 inches oh, on, on, on plug and on fly and, and plastics. And snook would be the, the quick second. There's lots of snook over here. Even really big snook. Big snook. Uh, pushing 35 and 40 inches, which I can't seem to fool yet. They're, <laughs> they're tough. Um, I'm in love with saltwater fishing again. After living in South Florida and throwing finger mullet and, and fishing off the jetties for whatever would hit. Right. Uh, mostly snook and snapper. Um, I'm on the Gulf Coast, and I am a inshore fisherman now. And with a boat, I don't have to depend on anybody. I don't have to to inconvenience anybody or seem like I'm pestering them to please take me out on your boat ever like when I was a kid. Yep. So I graduated and I have a skiff now. As far as traveling, I literally had the thought this morning because I called my sister who lives down near you and Davey in the Broward though. And I thought, you know, if nobody hits my boat, I wouldn't mind taking my boat back down to where I used to live in Broward. Uh, maybe do an Everglades trip for exotics or maybe the sawgrass park if you know what i'm talking about for peacocks oh, yeah. and snakeheads there's huge snook and tarpon in that freshwater area coming off the everglades yep. off 84 um it's just 
it's probably with all the people and problems of South Florida, um, there's probably still a decent fishery down there. Plus, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really good, especially the freshwater scene. Really good. As good as it's been, I think, really. So, uh, yeah, that'd be that'd be a good trip for you to make for sure. Mm-hmm. Don't don't forget me. Already, <laughs> if you come down, anyone listening, I've already offered Jim a fishing trip, so uh, <laughs> it would be my pleasure to take you out. Michael, are you on on Instagram or or Facebook or do you want? Yes, to you yes, want I to follow you. I mean, be be on this. Yeah, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm not very active lately because I work a lot. Um, Somehow I'm, I'm on restriction with Facebook and I'm a pretty mellow guy. I don't know what they found wrong with me, but whatever. Um, you know what they can do. It doesn't take uh, much. Yeah, I'm on Michael Hawkins, even though there's a bunch of us uh, with that name. And on Instagram, I guess I got to give you my address, don't I? Where the am first I? first one was Facebook? Yes. Yes, gotcha. Aren't I? Yeah, here I am. Us guys in our 50s, you know. (laughs) We're not that savvy. Let me find my profile. So, yeah, I'm on um, mike.hawkins.902. Got it. And uh, that'll make me start posting things on there. I kind of watch what everybody else is doing. From DOA lures to flats class with CA Richardson up in the up in the Crystal River area is one of my favorites, um, and I have my YouTube subscriptions. Listen, I'm a student like everybody else. I'm I don't I'm not really that worthy to be followed in my own eyes, but it's really not about that. It's about learning from each other and the camaraderie and the friendship. Listen, the world is on fire. It's no wonder we fish. <laughs> I love that. When I push That's going to be the tagline right there. <laughs> when I, it's no wonder I drink too. It's, uh, <laughs> we're just having a beer, aren't we? Yeah. So, um, when I, when I push off and it was, it's been like this since I was a kid, cause everybody has trouble in their childhood. I don't care who you are. Right. We're all messed up in one way or another special needs. I've raised a special needs kid. It made me realize we're all special needs. Um, Absolutely. When you push off your kayak, your boat, um, somebody else's boat, when you push off the dock, you are literally, not just figuratively, leaving your troubles behind. They're all back on shore. They're in your car. They're at wherever they are. And you, you, you gaze out at nature. We talked about this yesterday. We look into the water. I see wild sea turtles, um, if there's any other kind, wild dolphins, manatees, game fish, bait fish birds um it's it's like going back into the wide world of uh, you know jacques cousteau undersea world of jacques cousteau and i'm floating which is very peaceful also at that feeling of being on water um it's something that'll never change with me if if i take my last breath with a rod in my hand and then find me out there on my boat i will have died you know happy amen amen brother i love it We've lost some really cool people, man. I got to meet um, Lefty Cray on several occasions, once down in West Palm at a fly fishing show, then again in Orlando. Can I tell a story? Yeah, of course. Um, 
they're the one of the the guy that I always wish I would have met. Not because he's celebrity, but because he seemed like such a fun person and a nice guy. Was um, was Jose Wehebe? Yes. Mm-hmm. He was a he lived in the Keys. His family's still in the Keys. I've actually chatted for two seconds on Facebook with his daughter after he passed. We know that he passed down to Everglades City. I was fishing in Everglades City a week before he was there filming that last it's called Jose's last one. His daughter released it on, on his show. I um he literally went you know, it's it, I'm not trying to say this and be coy. It, he he literally um, he, he died doing what he loved as, you know, the cliche says, um, I think I even saw his boat in the repair yard over at Bass Pro one year, one, one day. And it's, it was a, I think it was a Mako center console. And of course you can see the, 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 the Spanish fly name on the side of the boat. And I pulled into park one day for work and I said, check that out. And I yeah. thought, man, Jose in the store today. That's cool. Cause his show was called the Spanish fly. Um, you can look him up if you don't know who he was already. You'll you'll be addicted to everything uh, um, Jose Wehebe because yeah, he was as cool as it gets. I mean, just- he was just as fun and cool as it gets. Um, but I asked Flip. I asked um, Flip Pallet. I said I met him several occasions too, and it was the same day I saw Flip again. But in Orlando at a fly fishing show, when I was um, there with Rick Pope as a guest with a temple fork. And of course, Lefty Cray helped design a lot of his rods and was good friends with Rick. I asked Lefty one, one hour when he was just hanging out, sitting in the little captain's chair, you know, and talking. And <laughs> it was, it was kind of like working with, huh? Grinning ear to ear. Yeah. And, you, always and you, him, you don't want to talk too much because you want him to do all the talking. Cause you know, um, a couple of things I remember about Lefty. I'm, I'm sorry. About, yeah. About Lefty was when he was talking to the guys about, Sorry for sub phrase, sub going off on the side here. Lefty once said he was telling a story about going to Cuba, and uh, and he said, and Ernie was so and so, and he was talking, and he's from Baltimore, by the way, he's from Maryland, he has that accent. And somebody said, Ernie who? And he said, Hemingway. Who else do you think I'm talking about? And everybody just got blown away. Oh he's friends with Ernest Hemingway, of course, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but I asked Ernie. Him, Ernie and, uh, but I asked him that day, I said, you know, I know that you knew uh, Jose, and it was probably a year after Jose had passed, or less. It was still pretty fresh, and because um, he died young. And yes, I asked him, I said, what do you remember, you know, did you ever get to meet or get to know uh, Jose Wehebe real well? And, and, and Lefty kind of got quiet, and he went to the kind of the, his memory of his mind a little bit, and he said... And he started grinning and he told a story that I'm not going to tell the whole story, but he had a really funny story about Jose when he was a single man and he was in the keys and they were trying to, and they went fishing one day and he, and he came with some beautiful girl on his arm. And the very next day Lefty says, he comes back that later that evening, the same day, I think it was with another beautiful girl, completely different on his arm. And they're like, they're giving him a hard time because, you know, you can tell when he was young with that beautiful mustache, he was a great looking guy, quite a stud. And um, they were all ribbing him about, you know, these women in his life. And he's like, he was like a boy left. He said, he was like, I can't help it. They won't leave me alone. <laughs> 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 he really had fun telling us that. It was just me and another guy. 
but uh, he he must have left a, a just a great impression of, of those who he. Yeah, he I, got, I got a quick Jose Wahebe story. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but I I, I did a, a fish. He and I did a fishing trip in, to Nicaragua for ten days back in uh, two thousand two. Oh, didn't yeah, know that. I and and a, and a friend of mine that was is Nicaraguan and oh, uh, so impressed. It, it was so much fun, but. Um, he liked to party as I do. And so <laughs> great guitar player, pretty good guitar player, by the way. Yes. Yes. We talked a lot about guitars and martial arts and of course, fishing, but, um, <laughs> he said, so anyway, there is, I can, we'll talk more about it off the air, but um, <laughs> just a great guy. I mean, actually none of it was like underhanded or anything weird yeah, or anything yeah. like that, but just, um, he, he said, uh, at the end of the trip, we stated this, this, like a, four or four star hotel in the middle of nowhere on the, on the coast of, on the Atlantic coast of Nicaragua, close to Costa Rica. And, um, on the, on the, uh, it's called gray town on the Rio San Juan where it, it, it divides Nicaragua and Costa Rica, right? That river. So we took the river all the way down to two days. We get there, we stay in this crazy, like fancy hotel in the middle of nowhere, beautiful, like a, a jungle lodge. And we're partying with the owner and everything and, and fishing and catching fat snook and common snook. And uh, we saw a tarp and we didn't catch any. But anyway, the long story short, he said, um, you know, next next month is uh, and I was newly married. OK, so it was like a year into my marriage He goes, Jim, we should. I, I was talking to the owner next next month. Um, the Miss. Let me get it right. The Miss Central Nicaragua. No, the Miss. Central America beauty pageant is going to be held at this lodge next month. Do you want to come down? We'll hang out. <laughs> do you want? Do you want me to get divorced? Funny guy, dude. That's that's quite a story too, man. That's Colombian woman. Yeah, happy man. But at the time, I was like. Uh, I would love to do that. <laughs> no, can't do it. I don't know. I know we we saw we saw each other a bunch of times after that. I, I don't. How did you How did you come to meet him? Is it through Bass Pro or no? Through my ex wife, actually, who was from Nicaragua originally. So who? And he always wanted to to fish. Jose. 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 Yeah. He, oh, he, I thought he was of Cuban descent. He he was, but he always wanted to fish Nicaragua. He'd fish Costa Rica. He'd fish all over Central and South America, of course. Mm. But he never had any contacts <clears throat> in Nicaragua, so I oh, was that's cool. attacked by I'll be darned. osmosis. So what a what a lucky what a lucky guy you are. It was so much fun. Yeah, great time. Yep, I shot a lot of video. He shot. He actually shot video on my camera, like <laughs> these cool shots and got tons of pictures and uh, just a great. Please share day. one day. Please share. Yeah, I will for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think? You want to, anything else you want to cover or? Well, we can talk music, but that will take a whole nother show. Uh, me and me and Jim, me and Captain Jim are, are music lovers, music freaks and uh, are scratch music. You still huh? I am not. Um, in a, I was in rock bands in the eighties. I was singing since second grade, since Mr. Young made me stand in front of the class and the whole school and sing and talk and all that. Um, I have this voice that God gave me, and I almost went into radio or, or voiceover, and then I got a job in the car business as of two years ago, which is good. 
pays the bills. Um, but I was in rock bands back in the 80s with a bunch of other long hairs and uh, up in Maryland when I moved up for a while. And uh, we were all going to be rock stars, according to if you asked us, we would. Um, we were all trying to be signed and go to L.A. or New York or all that and all the, the, the I hate the thing hair, the, the name hair metal, but, we, you know, we just had long hair and we played hard rock music. Yeah. Well, I got out of the bars and bands um, through a chain of events, moved back to South Florida, I'll say back in 94, 93 or 4, and went back to Broward County. I wanted to go home as far as I was concerned. I needed to go back and get out of the cold and uh, find myself, if you will, and start fishing a lot more. And um, as, as it were, as, I, I think I was eventually, gosh, 1997 or 8, I met my now wife of 23 years down in South Florida, Marie. Um, and I had no desire. I was going to church and had a church family, and uh, as it were, and um, my life changed, you know, and I was very happy with the way it was going. And then because music, it, once it's in you, it is always with you. And I love music. I even got away from listening to all the bands I grew up on at Zeppelin and Grand Funk in Boston. I, I didn't even listen to the radio and I missed it. And little by little, it drew me back. And I started playing my guitar around the house. And then I went to an open mic night once or twice and played some old classic rock for the kids. <laughs> And um, I, mean, I had the idea where well, I mean, I'm what having they, such a good, What do they huh? think of that? Your kids? Well, you they, Dad's uh, up on stage singing. They would come and, you know, they're musically inclined. And they would uh, even have my daughter come sing a, uh, probably a Hannah Montana song or something yeah. one day. And I played guitar for her somewhere. There's a, a video of it, I hope, when she was younger. Um, and I... I don't know why working at the guitar center, I met more musicians who were playing the local bands and, and I still had my voice. I'm a pretty good singer and front man. And uh, I didn't want to join a rock band, but I had the idea of, well, I'm not that good on guitar. I'd rather just sing and let the guitar player play. So I looked around on Facebook, you know, musicians page and I saw a blues band and I thought blues is the basis of most good music. And I love blues rock. I mean, that's Zeppelin and deep purple and on and on and on. ZZ Top. Let me look into this. Well, the thumbnail of the guy, of the guitar player, my friend Paul now, he looked like a rock star even in his picture. And I was like, wow, this guy looks like a real player. Um, well, I, so I joined the blues band called Three Forks Road in Orlando. And I stayed with him for six years. We got to, you know, to play the local rock bars. But, you know, you're different. You're blues. And that, that kind of set us apart, which was really cool. It's not the 20 somethings coming out so much as it is the 40 and 50 and 60 somethings coming out because and nobody's getting drunk and getting fist fights in the parking lot. It's everybody's kind of been through that. So it was a better scene. Yes. And uh, we played all covers. We didn't write any music. We played, we put our twist on some blues rock and rock and roll. Um, but we got to open for some pretty interesting acts down in Orlando when they would have the blues, brews, and barbecue when they would close off big section of downtown right in front of city hall and um a huge music hall there what was that called gosh i forget we opened the first year we opened for war wow this is even a blues band but we opened for war on the small stage and we told the girl who got us there next year we want to be on the big stage that's where we're going to really shine uh -huh. so she did call us back um 
and we got to open for the Fabulous Thunderbirds and the Robert Randolph Band, if you know who that is. Yes, I do. And cool. I've been very lucky. We've opened for Chris Duarte, who is a great Texas blues guy. Um, I've got to meet people who had to pop up at our, at our little bar shows, like uh, um, Mark Tremonti <laughs> of Creed. Yeah. was there one day uh, one of the guys from Backstreet Boys because he lived in Orlando was there I got to meet him um, just just music and fishing is my life now period um, I've raised my kids I provide for my family and all but when I'm on my own if I want to be playing guitar singing or, or standing on a boat Very that's my music thing yeah you know we're looking for a house in raleigh you know my wife is up there now so we're we're looking online she's like what do you think of this one what do you think of that one what is it like so um i was like okay okay i can't i'm not gonna live in a townhouse i'm not gonna live in a, an apartment ever again in my life if i can help it because <laughs> my son and i he plays bass i play guitar we want to be able to crank it up if we want a new drum kit you know we need a, a single family home and that's a big, I mean, I'm not a musician. I'm just, uh, you know, yeah, an old rocker. I like to play guitar and, and I'm not a singer, but I try to sing. And, yeah. but, you know, that's that's how important it is to me. Where I'm choosing my home, just like I'm choosing a place to live based mm -hmm. on my my hobbies, my, that's the things I like to do. I mean, it's it's important to me. You know, Marty is like, well, we can't do a townhouse because Nick, you know, Oh my God, he's got like a hundred watt amp. He can't. We can't have neighbors. Yeah. Like okay, yeah. Solved. We'll rent a house. Like or and eventually. That's what I've done. Like it's a consideration, and you should you should base your life, I think, around the things that you love to do, and, and not the other way around, right? Not adapt yeah. to mm -hmm. oh, oh shit. If I could only play guitar in my house, yeah. like no. I mean, well, we've done that, and it doesn't make us happy. Yeah. Um, we're not at the. You know, we're we're not we're not puppies anymore we're we've lived a little bit of a life here and if we're going to work this hard if we're going to sacrifice these all these years raising our kids which we do um and it's a it's a willing sacrifice we love our kids and our families but now that they're older and they're eventually going to move out um i rent a house here my neighbors next door they don't care i got a bass now and a bass amp because i i tinker around on a bass i've got multi small amplifiers um I want to crank up my harmonica through a through an amplifier one day, and I mean crank it so it gets really snotty and nasty, which is fun. Yeah. Or, or I have my TV on and I'm watching, you know, videos of past concerts when we were younger, and I crank it, and it bothers nobody, and it makes me happy. I'm with you on that. Yep. So I wish you the best in that. I appreciate it. Go get it. Well, Michael, we got to. Uh probably should wrap it up but um mm -hmm. we got to get together and fish i would love that up there or down here or whatever we'll make it happen okay well now that we've done this um it looks like we should keep in touch quite a bit more even on uh messenger or wherever on the phone and um let's just go ahead and commit to making that making that happen all Let's right thanks so much for joining me tonight really thank fun. you jim Okay, Appreciate buddy. you, buddy. Love you, man. Love you, too. Take care. Right. See you. See you.